Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Hi everybody, Dwayne Davidson here, host of Tales from Tolt. Today we've got a good program. We're going to be talking a little bit about the history of the community called Pleasant Hill, which is just immediately south of uh, Carnation. And the second part of the program, we're going to be talking to uh, Heather Stark, who is the president of 104.9, uh, this radio station. Uh, about some of the interesting developments going on at the radio station. So I hope you can stay tuned and listen to that too. I want to begin with talking about a couple large estate farms that were uh, south of uh, Carnation, uh, like I said, at Pleasant Hill. And Pleasant Hill was a community, much like the other communities that we've talked about that were in the valley or communities anywhere during that time period, uh, people kind of settled in little areas and developed a neighborhood community and it normally was associated at least in the Sopami Valley with uh, with the school. Uh, if you look at uh, Pleasant Hill, Vincent, Novelty, Stillwater, they didn't really have a commercial district although Stillwater did have a store, uh, did and still does. Most For the most part it was the school that was the center of community that put them on the map, was a little spot on the roadmap. Uh, dances were held there, church services, various community meetings of all various sorts were held at these little schoolhouses. And Pleasant Hill, I think you would identify that school as being a little bit larger than most of the little country uh, schools that we saw at the time, you know, one room schoolhouses as I described them. Uh, Pleasant Hill was in a one-room schoolhouse. It was a little bit larger. It had a gymnasium. It was actually a rather impressive building. I remember it myself as the fact that I grew up in this area near Griffin Creek. And uh, it was, uh, it was it's, it's really too bad it didn't survive. It uh, uh, burnt to the ground in a fire uh, in the early 1970s. It was a um, converted to a shop. Uh, after the school was uh, closed and the floors became quite saturated with oil and things. And when it unfortunately caught on fire, there was no saving it. And it's really too bad because it was a beautiful building, one, and two, it's right next to the highway. So that would have been a very interesting building to uh, keep today because it would have been very convenient for community meetings and such. Like I said, this is immediately south of the Griffin Creek Bridge, uh, two miles out of Carnation. So that was uh, enough about the school. Uh, uh, I, of course, didn't go to school there because it was shut down in the early 1940s, but my grandfather had. And, uh, and the Davidsons were in that area and they still are. The Davidson sawmill still exists today uh, near this area. But I wanna talk primarily today about two large farms and I'm the one talking about these farms today because I don't have anybody to interview for them because there are no descendants uh, 
uh, left in the area or no descendants in one particular case at all that I know of because they didn't have any kids uh, to talk to. And those two farms are the Pleasant Hill Farm and the Horick Farm. And we'll begin with Horick's. They were the closest to where I described the school being. It's, um, it's today a winery. Uh, even today, you can see the big brick silos, two silos at the end of the uh, one barn and a stately house that's now, like I said, a winery. It's been winery for the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years. It had been a dog kennel before that for a while and a couple other different type of businesses. But when I was a kid, it was still a very stately uh, um, gentleman's farm type of atmosphere to it. It had two large ponds outside of it that were fed with a diverted uh, water right off of Griffin Creek. They kept these fountains going in the middle of it. Quite impressive. Big orchard, beautiful barn buildings, beautiful place. Uh, the guy that started that farm and gave it its uh, notoriety was John Horrocks. And his uh, contribution to community or to the, to the uh, Northwest was that he was the very successful chief engineer of the construction of the Milwaukee Tunnel on the Milwaukee Railroad that parallels I-90 on Sonoma Pass, a two-mile tunnel that you can ride your bike through today. That tunnel was created um, uh, early in the railroad's history to, to make the line shorter and uh, safer travel than going clear up over the pass, pretty much to the present uh, route of I-90, uh, which involved some serious railroad grades. It was kind of dangerous. This railroad tunnel replaced all that but why it was a remarkable feat of John Horrocks being the chief engineer of that was that it was done with a lot of dynamite, labor intensive, steam shovels, lots of you know very primitive type of equipment. And yet it was done in a remarkable amount of time with no loss of life, which not losing somebody in a major construction project like that during that era was quite a feat. He got uh, uh, newspaper articles that attested to the fact that that was a, uh, his commitment to safety was legendary and uh, good for him. So he uh, later got involved with rentals and had a couple large um, apartment buildings in Seattle and had this basically as just a farm to kind of go to when he felt like being a farmer for the day, I guess. Uh, sometimes I think they live there primarily, but they always had their places in Seattle too. And it was a very, very impressive uh, farm. On that property, there was also the cemetery that was the cemetery for uh, the uh, Carnation area. And they say that if you go to the Carnation Cemetery, most all the graves that are in there that's marked before, uh, where the death date is before 1905, they probably came from the Pleasant Hill Cemetery. Um, they need they continue to better the road and take curves out of that country road that went between Fall City and Carnation. And in one particular time, they needed to move it. There was also the feeling that they needed to consolidate cemeteries. Uh, and they uh, made Carnation the primary cemetery. And so that what that means is that if you're driving between Carnation and Fall City, you actually pass over what was once a cemetery when you're in this area. 
Um, before that road was ever even constructed, however, people settled in the area and just a little bit further south where the river comes closest to the road, during that, uh, that was one of the very first farms that was founded by people that, uh, by the name of Moulton and Williams, and there are descendants of that family that maybe we'll be able to interview someday. Uh, they settled there when the only source of transportation was the river and you had to wait till the river had proper levels to be able to navigate to that. And um, it was a, uh, uh, they, they, they were a pioneer family, but they didn't stay on the farm. Uh, they uh, sold portions of the farm in a big consolidation and a very large estate farm was made called Pleasant Hill Farm. And it was ran by a gentleman and his wife uh, named uh, Reginald uh, Parsons and his wife's name is Maud. Uh, Maud's father was um, uh, Mr. Bemis of the Bemis Bag Company. And the uh, Bemis Bag was a large manufacturer of burlap bags, which was a very popular way to bag feed and flour and grains at the time. They later expanded very smartly into brown paper bags. They're very, very profitable business. And um, Reginald had the good fortune to marry into uh, this, this family. But he was, had some remarkable skills of his own. He was a very advanced agriculturalist in agricultural business. He really tried to better agricultural, horticulture, and forestry practices. And that's evidence in the fact that he was president of several different things. He was on bank boards and everything but the ones i want to draw attention to is hillcrest orchard company which tried to improve horticultural practices uh, with a large uh, farm that they did various uh, things that to try to study and and advance horticultural practices a very large pear and apple orchards down in the rogue river valley then they he was very involved with Methow Valley Livestock Company, which had a large beef, beef ranch near Winthrop. But they also had that, that parent company uh, that he was in charge of own the Pleasant Hill Farm. And the Pleasant Hill Farm, like I said, was a very large dairy farm, big bunkhouse, um, several different buildings where hired help worked at, at the time. I don't think Reginald and Maude were there that often, but it was a uh, quite the show place for a while and a place where they basically tried to develop practices that advance uh, the dairy industry. And um, that was uh, what made that an important part of history of the Carnation area. So there's some other farms I wanna talk about. One briefly, is the, um, the other McDevitt place. There's two families of McDevitts that live south of Carnation and they were not related. Uh, the one McDevitt house was before, was the C.P. Swisher um, residence. And why that is kind of a remarkable farm is back in the prior, you know, the, back in the olden days, beef being a very perishable product, slaughterhouses were very small affairs like every town basically had to have a, a slaughterhouse or there was a lot more of them than there is today 
and uh, and the meat market in Carnation was owned by the gentleman that had that farm uh, right on Griffin Creek uh, by the name of Switzer. He later sold that to the farm and the meat shop to Parr, Mike Parr of uh, Parr's IGA. Anybody that's done any kind of history of Carnation at all uh, has heard of, or maybe even remembers, Par IGA store, which was a grocery store in Carnation. Well, that all got to start with a uh, farm south of town that was basically the place where the beef came from. And uh, that slaughterhouse, even though most people would not know what that was, that slaughterhouse still exists today. I remember as a kid, uh, we would dare each other to go up because it was a bit long abandoned as a slaughterhouse. But I can remember uh, my friends, we would dare each other to to creep up to the old solder house because there was like bones all around it. It was kind of a, a, a cow skulls and everything. It was kind of an interesting place to go and see and, and, uh, and try to scare each other at. So those, uh, that was not the same type of farm like I was referring to the other two. It was not an estate type farm, but it was very, very important to the development of the told area because it was the supplier of uh, the beef market. So those are the farms I wanted to talk about today, uh, none of which have descendants in the valley to talk uh, to about. So I just did that myself today. We're going to expand and look a little bit more at farms in this area, talking to some people that uh, are descendants of uh, families that farmed out there uh, in the next uh, few episodes coming up. So uh, please, Stay with us. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Heather Stark, uh, president of uh, uh, Valley 104.9. Thanks, folks. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in, 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Fisk, host of Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. We're the show that's on every week, and we talk about nonprofits that help all of us who live, work, and play here in the fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. You can catch us at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, and then we do an encore presentation on Monday at 6.30 p.m. That's 5.30 Sunday evening and 6.30 on Monday for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio. Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation.
Okay, welcome back, folks. Today, I have a very special guest of our uh, Valley 104.9 uh, community because it's our fearless leader, uh, Heather Stark. As, uh, as I'm not that fearless, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> hey, join me. Uh, hi, Heather. Hi, good to be here. You know, your show is such a high point for so many of us every week. So thank you. Welcome. We, we thank really you. enjoy this. Thank you. And I, I can honestly say, folks, that's a good segue into this uh, part I want to talk about the second half of the program. I can honestly say this has been a real joy of mine uh, in retirement, pro uh, producing this show and getting to explore the valley of uh, the history of the valley that I love so much. And this has been made provided the vehicle to do this radio show was provided to me by 104.9. And I'm internally grateful for them uh, for that. And so I've uh, considered the, those folks like family now. They are a wonderful bunch of people. And I wanted to talk about the station just a little bit because there's a couple of things that I think that you folks, readers, might be interested in to help us out. And so I invited uh, uh, Heather uh, to be with us today so we can talk about that. Um, there's actually every nonprofit always needs help. So a program like this is practically at any given time would be an appropriate time to ask for community involvement, community help. But there's a particular interesting thing that I think people will be kind of uh, uh, interested in that we are uh, faced with. And that is we have to, we've just notified that we have to move a tower. And that is the tower that broadcasts our programs. And so uh, that has to be relocated. There's a cost involved with that. And so um, do you want to give a little bit of background to that, uh, Heather, and, and uh, what, what we're faced with there? Well, absolutely. Uh, Dwayne, we have been so blessed as a station because we've had so many people that have donated and, and given of their time. And we've had some people who have actually given of their property. That is, they have allowed us to place our tower, which is on top of a container, like one of those big freight containers, you know, mm -hmm. And we have our emergency broadcast stuff in there. We have our, you know, certain uh, uh, pieces of equipment in there. And on top, we have the tower that allows us to transmit and, at our frequency and, and reach as many people as possible. And for the last several years, we've been uh, granted permission to use a piece of land, but that land has changed property, changed hands. And the family that owns it now says that, you know, they have plans, they need to use that property. And so we're going to have to move that tower. That is pretty complicated because it's very heavy and we have to have special equipment because of the weight of it. We have to make sure that the ground is perfectly dry Otherwise, we'll just get mired down in mud. So there's a very small window of the year that we can actually do this. We have to then found it, find a new location. We have a couple of places that people have volunteered uh, for us to use their land, but we have to test the signal there, which sounds like it should be a simple thing, but it's not. It's pretty complicated. And so we've got all of this stuff that we have to do. And once we do find that location, then we have to hire equipment to help us move that. And it is not cheap to do it. And it also requires a lot of manpower. Last time we erected that tower on top of the container, you know, all the guys at the station, and I say the guys, because at the time I was the only girl, I think, <laughs> female, <laughs> and I wasn't about to climb up that tower. Thank you very much. Um, and, you know, I mean, they had pulleys and rope and they erected the thing. I mean, it was like, 
putting up one of the pyramids, you know, <laughs> it was a big deal, but we did it because we all just love Valley radio so much. And so that's what we're facing and we're facing it the next few months. And so that's going to cost a lot of money. We haven't really had a fundraiser for a couple of years. We've been kind of squeaking by. And as you know, Dwayne, we are all volunteer, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we don't have expenses. We have to pay for the music that we we put on the radio. We have to, you know, pay for power. We have to pay, you know, for computer access. All of those things, all those expenses come up to a couple thousand dollars a month. And so, uh, and that's without adding anything. That's just squeaking by on a bare minimum. So we're always looking for people to help us. You know, if you have some property and a location that, that you think might be worth considering, I hope you'll contact us as, as soon as you can. And we can check it out and we can see if maybe this would work. Um, if you want to donate some money, we, well, as you said, Dwayne, nonprofits, you know, <laughs> we always want money because, right, right. you know, we, we rarely, um, you know, can, we, we don't really have a lot of big sales in order to gain money. You know, it's kind of a big deal to get enough money. And so getting, moving that tower is going to be in the thousands and um, we're going to need help with that. So, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that people will help us and, and that they value the station enough. And of course, we stream so people can always access the live streaming uh, and all of our talk shows like yours and like mine are on the website. So people can call them up and, and go to the website and just listen to them as podcasts. But nevertheless, that that live frequency, that live feed, the the FM feed is really important. And so it's kind of complicated. And so we're hoping that people will reach out because as you and I have talked about many times, Dwayne, this is special. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I worked in professional radio in the Seattle area for a number of years and it was fun. It was fun to do news for Cairo and Como and all that kind of stuff, but not as fun as Valley Radio. Right, right. And and this is really important. I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, the link is used by very uh, uh, quite a few people now. But the uh, actual radio broadcast is still important. And a lot of our uh, listeners, Chip, still uses, tunes it into the radio. And so every crisis, uh, and this is our little crisis, this tower move at the moment, does afford itself new opportunities. And so if the, the you folks do know some property out there that we could test for a potential site that could be a long-term uh, site for our tower, we really would like to have options to be able to test and to determine what would be best because maybe out of this will even come up with a, uh, even a better location for a better broadcast to serve the valley. Uh, there are parts where you don't get that great reception and maybe some of those uh, uh, currently and maybe some of those issues would be addressed if we got better location. So if you know of a place, please contact the station. If you can help us out, this is probably one of the biggest expenses this station will face because we're all volunteer. This is a big one and we're faced with it just in the next few months. And so if you could help out, um, I think that they can do that on our website and the website's address and there's a click link on the website. You can find donate now. Right. And well, website- actually it's like a little, it's like a little, um, um, <laughs> I'm not coming. I want to say ellipse, but ellipse it's not that it's one of those elongated ovals and it, mm-hmm. it's yellow and it has donate. 
and you click on that and uh, it'll take you right to a page where you can make a financial donation. If you want to donate and help the station in other ways besides financially, we're always open to that. And you can just reach out directly to me. My email is heather.stark, S-T-A-R-K, at valley1049.org. So heather.stark at valley1049.org. And um, just let me know how you'd like to help. You know, all those years that I worked in, in radio, Dwayne, every time I met somebody who knew that I was in broadcasting, I don't think I ever met anybody who went, Ugh, why would you do that? They all <laughs> wanted to be in radio. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to play radio. And you can play radio here. We, we allow <laughs> that. If you have ideas for programs, if you are an engineer or you want to learn about how radio works, we're your, your spot. You know, we're the place you can do that. We, we really have a dedicated uh, uh, small crew of people that are able to get this uh, uh, out every week. But it is a small crew and they do work very, very hard and we could use some additional help. So the jobs that we could put you to work with are very varied. So don't think uh, that you would have to be on the air all the time. Although if you do have an idea of a program that you think would be good for community radio, uh, float that idea by Heather and uh, and uh, so that they can audition you for a possible a show. But there's uh, there's a greater need even, but for uh, web help, uh, maybe Facebook, there's just lots of jobs to do. And there's people doing most of that now, but they could use backups, they could use help, they could use partners uh, helping them so that we're not burning people out at the station right now. So. Um, before you say, well, I don't think I have the talents, try us, tell us, you co- contact us and say, I would like to be able to do that. And we'll see if we can find a place to make it fit because there's always something to do here at the radio station. And we, uh, we need your help. Uh, and financially back to the finances, if you're able to help us out with this, a tower move and other, uh, uh projects that we've got going on. You can donate on the website. You can also do it the old-fashioned way, and that is to mail a check-in. And you can do that at P.O. Box 442, Duval, Washington, 98019. So that's a P.O. Box 442, 98019. And, of course, that's to uh, Valley 104.9 Radio. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh Heather, is there any other things that we should be uh, letting the people know that's coming up that we could uh, use their help with? Well, I think it's important for people to realize that since we are all volunteer, our work work and family comes first. And so we're, we're putting this in, you know, among everything else. And that means that we're pretty busy, you know, sometimes. And so we're always, I I know you are looking for ideas. I, for Valley Talk, I'm always looking for ideas for who to interview and who would be available. Um, Jay Fisk, who does uh, uh, Keeping Track of Giving Back, he's always interested um, in hearing about somebody who wants to be interviewed for the radio, uh, for the radio show. So if you have ideas for people that are, uh, or places or things that we can do, um, that we can interview, we're always open to that because we, it's not a full-time job. We're not sitting here 40 hours a week or more um, laying up our jobs. We're fitting it in um, behind everything else and, and we want to do a good job, but it does take time lining up interviews and things. So if you have great ideas for who we should be interviewing on these shows, 
let us know. You know, again, you can email me at heather.stark at valley1049.org. And just tell us who you, you know, hey, I know Joe up the road and he had an interesting experience doing blah, blah, blah. And he might be interested, you know, he might be good for an interview. Give us the contact information and we can get hold of Joe and say, hey, Joe, why don't you come on the radio and share it with us? <laughs> well, Heather, I sure do appreciate you coming on the uh, program today and uh, letting people know about these uh, needs. Uh, it's a great radio station. It's a great resource uh, and asset to the Valley. I and I'm very grateful of the opportunity that they've provided me to do uh, Tales from Told. Mm -hmm. And we would like to see that continue and prosper. And so um, there, folks, we've made this spiel, we made the ask, and now it's up to you to uh, uh, donate, uh, uh, think, give us a call, uh, do whatever you feel compelled to do to help uh, keep this a good community-based community radio station. So thank you, Heather. You're welcome. And just, I want everybody to remember that this is our radio station. This is the community's radio station. And we want all of the community to be involved as they possibly can be. Okay. Okay, folks. Well, that wraps up another episode for Tales from Tolt. So please uh, join me next week. Remember, we're broadcasted in addition to our regular Monday night. We also are broadcast at 4.30 on Sunday. So until next week, see you folks. Bye.